before I begin, can I just say what an absolute delight and a privilege and a joy it's been to be with you this weekend. And I also want to say that y'all must be living good lives and righteous lives in order to have Winnie and Elizabeth here with you. Um, it just doesn't get any better than the two of these. You know. So, are you ready? <laughs> what are we to make of these lessons? Well, it's important to remember this. Everything happens, everything that happens is part of a larger story. Advent is right around the corner, and I hate to be the one to break this to you, but there are 36 days to Christmas. <laughs> the gift shop is open today if you need some gifts. <laughs> but before we get to a new season, we will focus on the end of the age. There's lots of doom and gloom until we end the liturgical, the liturgical year next week with the feast of Christ the King or the sovereignty of Christ. But what are we to make of this gospel, of the parable of the talents? What does this ancient story of slaves or servants who were each given some measure of money called talents, how does that have any relevance to us today? Well, I want to suggest that it is because we recognize each of these servants as either someone we know, someone we are, or someone we are capable of being, if someone gave us the modern equivalent of over $10 million. What are we to make of that? Those of you who already know me know how I cherish stories. Someone said to me, uh, I said to someone this morning at breakfast, so will I see you in church? And she said, are you going to tell a story? And I said, is the Archbishop of Can Canterbury Anglican? <laughs> I think I love stories because I'm a Christian. I believe that one of the important roles of the institutional church is keeper and teller of the ancient stories of our faith in our liturgy, in our paintings, in our church walls, and even in our church stained glass windows, or in these wonderful prayer ribbons here that line the church. I think there is something in each of us that remembers with great fondness being a child and having a story read to them by a parent or teacher or other adult. We hear, once upon a time, and we are instantly transported to that place in our classroom or library me memory, and we scurry to take our places on the rug, sit down, cross our legs, and listen as the words on a page magically transport us to another time, either a time before us or behind us, in another land where we've never been before, and other people we have met but come to recognize. I think I have a story that makes sense of this ancient story. Ready? Once upon a time, <laughs> I was a chaplain at the University of Lowell in Lowell, Massachusetts, fondly known as the poor man's MIT. I had been ordained all of 10 and a half minutes, and I thought, oh, actually, I was convinced 
that the problem with the world was that I had not yet been ordained long enough to help rescue and save the world from itself. <laughs> I'm not saying that I believed I was Superwoman, but let's just say that I knew that Superwoman and I had never been seen in the same room together. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> and have mercy. I was 33 years old, and I was and still am deeply committed to the priesthood of all believers. And so I set about to raise up and train a group of students who would help me lead an ecumenical worship service. The first thing we did was to visit all the different Christian churches on a Sunday in Lowell to observe and participate in, that, in their worship service. And that's how I met Father Kumranian. Father Kumranian was an Armenian Orthodox priest who was the pastor at an absolutely gorgeous Armenian Orthodox church, which had icons of Bible characters and stories made up of mosaic tile on the ceiling, on the walls, and even the floors. Father was a big, burly man who, dressed in his long, black hooded cassock and black rope cincture, looked like that guy with the sword in the fight scene with Indiana Jones from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. He looked very, very scary to me, asked me to tell you stories about our first encounter. But I came to know him as one of the kindest, most gentle souls ever to walk the face of the earth, who served the people of God with generosity of spirit from a truly grateful, loving heart. I have tons of Father Kumranian stories. The one I want to tell you is this. Father took great pity on me and my obvious savior behavior complex. He saw something in me which needed tending and nurturing, something my youthful arrogance blinded me from seeing. He decided to take me under his wing. If I was going to call myself a priest, then by God, he was going to make certain that I knew the divine liturgy and that I was not only going to do it right, but I was going to do it well. Thus began a series of phone calls I would get from Father K, most often in the early evening. <laughs> he would say, Mother, Mrs. Father. <laughs> I didn't like it one bit, but I was not going to argue with Father K. <laughs> he would say, there is baptism this Sunday. It would be good for my people to see woman priest. It would be good for you to know divine liturgy. You come. <laughs> Mind you, this was not a mere invitation, but a command. <laughs> Miss out on an opportunity to participate in divine liturgy? Are you mad? Of course I said yes. One day he called me, but it was late in the morning. He said, Mother, this is Father. There is funeral tomorrow, 11 o'clock. It would be good for my people to see a woman priest. It would be good for you to know divine liturgy. You come. Aren't you impressed with my Armenian? <laughs> <laughs> I cleared my calendar, and I went. Oh, to be in those beautiful brocade vestments. Oh, to inhale the sweet smell of billowing incense. Oh, to hear the chanting of everything, every psalm, every versicle and response, every scripture passage, everything that wasn't nailed down was chanted. There were more alleluias sung in five minutes than in five Easter Sundays put together. 
In a rare moment when I snapped myself back into reality, I looked out over the congregation and noted that there were about 45 to 50 people, not a bad turnout, but it looked pretty slim in that huge cavernous church. In the first row sat the widow, all in black, with a black scarf tied tightly under her ample chins, and next to her, the relatives. Behind her sat the group I call the Holy Moaners and Blessed Wailers. They were women, similarly dressed in black coat and scarf, whose job it was, you guessed it, to moan and wail. Occasionally, one would go off script and cry out something in Armenian, which was designed, I suppose, to get the widow to cry, which she did. It was impressive. So when Father started the eulogy, I thought certain it would all be in Armenian. I figured it was a good time to close my eyes and, and meditate on all the beauty surrounding me. To my surprise, Father left his seat, started walking over to the casket, and began to speak in English. There are people in this world, he said, who are always making you happy. You see them on the street, and your heart in your chest leaps for joy. So happy are you to see them. And then he walked over to the casket, and he touched it tenderly, and he said, this is not one of those people. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to look. I just kept, please don't let anybody see my face. Please don't let what my face was doing. And my face was saying, oh, please, God. <laughs> what is he doing? And, and where is he going with this? And please, God, make him stop. I peeked over at the front row uh, to the widow and all the relatives, and even the holy moaners and blessed wailers were nodding in agreement. <laughs> <laughs> and Father Comranian continued. He said, but so great is our God that God now, even with one such as this, is he is welcoming him into the eternal arms of God with everlasting love. And then he said, the words that have become so important, they have become my mantra on this earthly pilgrimage of my journey in faith. He says, this is because of this. People is people, and God is God. Amen. And I thought, someday I'm going to be able to preach the truth like that. Just really short, say the truth, sit down, and shut up. <laughs> Today is not one of those days. <laughs> people is people, and God is God. And that's my understanding of what's happening in this gospel parable of talents. We know these people, don't we? We know the servant who took the five talents and doubled it. We also know the servant who took two talents and doubled it. And we know the servant who took the one talent and buried it in fear of what might happen if he weren't able to return it in full, or at least a modest profit. We might even recognize ourselves in one of those servants. <laughs> 
Maybe some of us are risk takers. Some of us look at a situation that's daunting, shrug our shoulders and ask, well, why not? They hear Yoda's advice to Luke Skywalker, there is no try, do, and they do. Maybe others of us are not risk takers. Others of us look at a situation and want to study it first, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, it can be a good thing, but some of us study the heck out of it, which leads us to what they say in AA as paralysis by analysis. We bury our talents so they're safe, and so are we. Or maybe, as Barbara Reed says, the third servant is honorable, actually, because he, he refuses to participate in a system where the master assesses great wealth while others remain poor. None of these people are good or bad, necessarily. People are people whether they live in an ancient time, in an ancient culture, in a land far, far away. And God is God. God is an abundant God, giving to each according to their ability, letting us determine for ourselves the risk-benefit factor and how it is we wish to use what it is God has given us. And God gives us the grace to accomplish it. That stuff about outer darkness, I don't think God has to throw us into it. We do that ourselves, I think, when we come to recognize how we might have squandered an opportunity. Some of us never forgive ourselves and we sit in the darkness of our own creation, sobbing and weeping and gnashing our teeth. Some people call that depression. We have forgotten that God is God and not our worst fear of what God might do or project our stuff onto God if we don't live up to the fullness of all that God has created us to be. I'm remembering a scene from a favorite old TV show that used to be on in the late 90s, Ally McBeal. Anybody old enough to remember Ally McBeal? <laughs> oh, I'm in good company. Ally was seeing her therapist, played by Whoopi Goldberg, and in the midst of Allie's confusion about what she was supposed to be doing and where she was supposed to be going, her therapist bursts out in frustration, girl, you've got to get yourself a theme song. <laughs> I think we all need a theme song or a mantra to sing or say to ourselves as we walk together, remembering the idea of Sonder, that everyone has within them their own epic story. As Thurman says, we all need mutual recognition of the landmarks in each other's lives. And we need to remember that everything that happens is part of a larger story. I know you have a few mantras. Live simply, love generously. I like that one a lot. I love the one on my, on my St. Luke's cup. <laughs> it says, everything is waiting for you. That's really wonderful. They're the, the, um, they were the, th the theme, I think, of your stewardship campaign uh, from the words of David Wythe. As you consider this gospel of the talents and you wish to live in Sonder with the expectation that everyone has their own epic story, as vivid as your own, and that some will live fully into it, risking it all, and others will be more cautious, 
while still others will hold on to either their anxiety or fear. I want to suggest the words from Father Qumranian as our pilgrim's mantra on the road to the beloved community. Remember, people is people and God is God. But that's not the question. The question is, are you ready? Because God's coming happens in three ways. God's coming comes at the end of our lives, comes in the final coming of Christ, and in, the way God, in all the ways God enters our lives every day in the epic stories of your life and his life and her life and all our lives. Everybody's got to do something while waiting for Jesus to come back. Might as well tell our stories to each other and build a beloved community while we're waiting. Are you ready? Amen.